Let's open our Bibles today to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24. And I want to read down through verse 7 of chapter 2. And I want to speak to you today on the subject of what a pastor hopes for his people and what a people can expect of their pastors. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Verse 1 of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. For a few weeks now, I've been thinking about this picture of the next seven years of our church's emphasis on going. We started that conversation uh, back around 2018. and We've come back here in 2023 and just added a word to that and said we're still going. We haven't been on some kind of tangent. It's not been us focused on some kind of outliers in ministry. But we're saying based on the great commission of Jesus Christ who lived died, was buried, and rose again, ascended to heaven, and has promised to return. He commissioned us. He gave us orders. And he gave us orders to go into the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them everything that he had commanded. 
and what we're saying as a church is our mission and our purpose, our movements, our vision will be in line with what he has commissioned us to do. And that's to go make disciples, to teach everything that he's commanded, to baptize them who follow him. We've laid out some things about going and kind of five specifics, building a culture of prayer and evangelism and discipleship and loving our community with ministries of compassion. We've talked about church planting. We've talked about reaching unreached people groups. And we've talked about raising our standard of giving and addressing our debt. And when I think about those five parts of our going trip, I want to suggest to you that if seven years from now we looked back and we could check a box beside each one of those five things that we would, I don't think it would be fair for us to just say um, perfect. Like just checking off a list, just doing a task list is not who we are as a church. And so as we think about going and we think about uh, going after some things and accomplishing some things, I, I want to talk a little bit about in the end what is ultimately the purpose of who we are as a church and who I am as your pastor. And it doesn't have to be uh, completely tied to just us personally as Watkinsville and as me as your pastor but many of you are guests here today and you will find your place in other churches and days ahead uh, many of you are a part of the river that comes through Watkinsville and you'll be here for a little while and you'll move on to another town another place another job it'll be a, another season of your life and so these things carry beyond just Watkinsville and beyond just who would be your pastor here but I want you to think about what uh, might be the hope of a, a body of believers and what could be a body of believers' expectations of their pastor. I have here with me today two books. Uh, one book I have with me every Sunday. Uh, it's my Bible and... Um, I have another book, and usually have this book with me every other day of the week. Uh, it's my black and red. That's fitting, isn't it? Um, I've used for several years a, a book along beside this book, uh, a black and red book. And in this book, I have a lot of things. Right inside the front cover, I've got my, uh, these are my to-do list here inside of this front cover that's uh i have that there and then i have here in the front of about the first seven pages are just kind of where i organize uh, my prayers uh, first page here is uh, just everyday prayers and focused on family and different things in our family then just ongoing prayers things that you'll mention to me that hey, pray with us about this, and I'll jot those things down there and try to keep track of them and update those. And then there's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and just different things that I pray for on each of those days. And then as you go through the book, there are different 
entries. They're just thoughts, ideas, notes from meetings that I'm a part of, journal entries from different things, a list of questions that maybe I want to ask in some meeting that's coming, um, all the way to the very last page of this red and black. I keep a list of those that are in our immediate church family that uh, have experienced deaths. And so just written here are the names of people in our church family uh, from January 1 in this particular uh, black and red book, uh, names of church family, and then maybe the death of a father or uh, the death of a mother or the death of a sister or the death of a brother. And I just keep those things. And so when I think about this black and red, my question this morning, with all of this stuff, pretty much my life right here, the question is this, does this book, of what I'm doing, thinking about, focused on, match this book? Does this book match this book? And that's what I want us to think about for a few minutes and think about uh, does our everyday life, however you keep track of it, however you think about it, match this book? When I look at these verses that we've just read, I want to mention maybe more briefly than the rest what you could expect from me as your pastor. And we build our expectations of what a pastor is on the Apostle Paul's writings. And this is one example of that in Colossians chapter 1 where he speaks about his ministry to the church. This is what he's doing as a minister of the church. This is what he's doing as a leader of the church. As he goes about as an apostle and he's laying the groundwork and the foundation of sharing the gospel, people growing up in their faith, new churches being started, he builds the expectations of what it would look like to be a minister of the gospel for a local church. And so I'd ask you for a few minutes to think about what expectations you might have on a pastor. When I think about expectations, I think about a conversation that happened in our church many years ago. It was actually in the context of marriage. And there was a particular family in this meeting, and specifically a woman in this meeting. They were part of our church 23 years ago. They're still a part of our church today. And the question in the room that day was what is the key to a, uh, to a great marriage? What's the key to a great marriage? And almost before anyone else could answer, this lady sitting beside her husband on that day just spoke up all of a sudden. She said, the key to the great marriage is low expectations. So maybe I would offer you today that the key to me being a great pastor would be low <laughs> expectations, all right? What the Apostle Paul does here is he, he begins to say, here's what I'm doing. And what I would offer to you first under a major category is, is what the Apostle Paul says is, is that I am, I am called to, to steward... I'm here to steward the call that was given to me by God for you. 
And so the, the expectation lies for a pastor of a local body of believers is to steward the commission or steward the call of God to serve that church body. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And so when I think about, which I, I, when I think about what I'm to be doing as a pastor, and I regularly do that, in fact, it's strange to me that often, uh, year by year by year, when I would think I know what I'm doing, I find myself going again and again back to the Word, saying, Lord, what is it exactly I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor? And I read this passage and I, and I see where it all starts is ultimately what I'm doing is, is I'm a steward of God. I am, I am to steward this call that he's given. I'm to steward this commission that he has given. And, the, and I see that the work of a pastor is something that is given by God. And I'm reminded that my role as pastor here and my work as a shepherd is not something that I thought about and considered and decided, I think I'll give it a run. But it's a response to God's call, a response to God's leading, a response to God's voice saying, this is what I have for you to do. This is your assignment. And it's very likely in the room here this morning that God is dealing with some hearts in this room about you serving as a pastor. And I want to say to you that you don't become a pastor because the hours look good or because the benefits look positive or because the fun is out the roof or because it's a good, respectable career choice. The reason you would become a pastor today, offer your life to serve in that way, is because you believe that the Spirit of God is leading and drawing and that you could do nothing else except this, that God is calling you to do. Oswald Chambers says that the call to vocational ministry is a response to a sense of oughtness. Others describe the call to ministry as, uh, they, they, will, they will say this, and I've, re I've repeated it because I've heard it and I find it to be true. If you can do anything else, do it. And, and, and it's not because of some kind of misery quotient or some, some, something that would be not desired. It's okay. The, the word shows that it's okay to desire to be in this role but the sense is is that if you can do anything else that maybe that something else is what God has called you to do or he hasn't necessarily called you to shepherd his flock it's a it's a stewardship of an, a step of obedience of doing what God says this is what you're made for this is what you're to do Growing up in the nursery business, I would come home in the summers from school and work those summers with my 
family and my dad and I and I remember each after I answered a call to pastor there were still some of those summers there were still some of those Saturdays and my dad would say you you're gonna come home you're gonna work some you're gonna work yeah yep and I'd get ready to leave he said well what'd you think how'd it go I said just confirming my call (laughs) just confirming my call the stewardship of of and a call to be a, a minister of the gospel for a local church, for the sake of the church, is given by God to a person. And then notice third, it's for you, or it's for the local church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And uh, to be in the role of of pastoring of shepherding a flock is not to be for the pastor it's not to be for the minister it's to be for someone else it is to be for a group of people and that stands out it's a it's um it saddens it saddens me it's also a check in my own spirit to to observe too many stories and too many churches where it seems like that the the church is for the pastor and the picture here the apostle paul gives is that it is a call given by god to him for the people well how does that happen what how, how do you steward how do you steward this calling there are three ways he describes the first is suffering he says i i I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up that what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He speaks of suffering, afflictions. If you still have your Bibles open to Colossians, look in Colossians 4, the very last verse of the letter. Colossians 4, verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Notice his his last phrase, remember my chains, remember my chains. In essence, he's saying to them, remember my sufferings. Remember that what we are a part of here involves suffering, it involves afflictions. But but why? Because God is, is giving us the opportunity to be a part of his mission, of his purpose. It's worthy of rejoicing in. There is, even in the pain and affliction of chains or suffering, there is a reason to rejoice. There is some kind of deep, lasting joy in being a part of what Christ has given us to do and be as a church and its shepherd. Now, this context of suffering, uh, it, it, it is it's different in different places. I know today standing in this beautiful room with air and lights and music and cushy chairs is very different than a lot of pastors or churches that are gathered in different places of the world. And there would be places today where they would know that to stand and proclaim the word of God in a gathering like this could cost them that day their physical life. And we do not experience that in some kind of broad kind of way here in Watkinsville, Georgia. 
But I am convinced that in the days ahead, perhaps in my own lifetime, that the experience of physical suffering and affliction because of preaching the truth of God's word will hit closer and closer and closer to home. And we have to be aware that comes what comes with serving Christ and honoring his word will be likely increasing levels of suffering. The second way that he stewards the call is through speaking. He says to me, to make, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? What is the mystery that we're about here as a church? The mystery has been solved. The mystery has been unveiled. Here's the mystery. It's no longer a mystery. That's, we're in a good place. It is no longer a mystery. Paul began to preach and unveil this mystery, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, he, he was among people that had witnessed Christ in the flesh and Christ lived and Christ died and he was buried and he rose again. He ascended to heaven. He was not right in front of them in the flesh. But Paul says the mystery of the gospel, this mystery that I'm proclaiming, he would teach and proclaim with it as in faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins means that Christ would then be in you. You die, but Christ lives in you. Think about that today. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe in vacation Bible school. Maybe in youth group. Maybe at Woodlands Camp or some other camp. Maybe at home in your bedroom. The mystery has been revealed to you. For you to have faith in Jesus Christ means you have this hope. Jesus Christ lives in you. He's in you. And he says, I'm preaching I'm teaching that and in verse 28 it says it's him we proclaim and then I love these phrases warning everyone teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature or perfect in Christ and so when I stand before you or I interact with you those are my marching orders to steward this call of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ that by believing in him he lives in us and my role is to teach everyone to warn everyone so that in time I may be a part of presenting everyone perfect in Christ and there's a third way that the stewardship of the call is described and that is the word struggling Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. You, when you are reading and thinking about what it looks like to warn and to teach and to present, when you look like, when you read and think, okay, Lord, what does it mean to steward the call? Listen, what Paul says is, it's a toil. It's a struggle. And this word is a severe word. It's a word that he pulled out to use to give a picture of working to a point of exhaustion. In fact, he shows that it's a, it's a word that requires more than our own physical strength. 
He says, I toil and I struggle with all his energy. With all his energy. There is a, a humbling recognition here in these verses that reminds us to shepherd the flock, to feed the flock, to care for the flock. For the role of a pastor is something that goes beyond their own strength. Now, have you been, have you been exhausted before? You been really tired before? Working again in the nursery business, I experienced that. I called it turnip green tired. What in the world is turnip green tired? I hate turnip greens. All right? I hate turnip greens. But I have eaten them on many occasions. And the reasons that I have eaten them on many occasions is because there were many days as a kid growing up that we would leave early in the morning we would eat a small lunch and supper would often not come until about eight o'clock at night especially in the spring in the nursery business and I would sit down at the table to eat and I'm telling you I was so tired and so hungry that turnip greens tasted sweet There are days when pastoring that you are beyond turnip green tired. But the glory is, is that you're not working in your own strength. You are working according to all his energy that he powerfully works within you. Well, what's the pleasure of that? The pleasure the, the, the pleasure is in verse 5 where the Apostle Paul says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And what he shows here is that there was something that brought great delight to this shepherd. And I'm saying to you today, there are things that make me rejoice when I look at you. And when I look at our church family and I think about our church family and I brag on our church family, it, it falls right in line with what I see in the Apostle Paul say here. He, he uses two military terms. Uh, good order and firmness are both words that he lifted right out of the military world. And good order had to do with the structure of, of the military, the, the readiness of the military, the the. The sense of things being unified, equipped, able, and in right position. Um, when I walk into this day and I think about standing here as pastor and I think about birth through senior adults, my lane this morning is pretty narrow. I didn't even baptize this morning. I didn't do the welcome time this morning. I certainly didn't lead a song this morning. I'm not rocking babies this morning. I'm not greeting this morning. I'm not parking cars this morning. I'm not ushering this morning. 
But I look at a church family and I'll go home today and I'll be turnip green tired and I'll lay down at the end of this night and I will rejoice because I'll think back through this day and I will think, praise the Lord for the good order of this church body. Ministering, serving, equipped to do the work of ministry. But also firmness of faith. And by that, that means strength. That a body, a church family that can hold up under the weight. When we leave here on Sunday as a shepherd and you go into this world and you live, there are days where I think about, I think, Lord, our church family, they're out there. I won't see them again until next Sunday. You know what? I don't have to worry. Because walking out of here firm in your faith, able to stand the weight of this world. We rejoice in that. Let me move to what he says here in verse 8, verse 6, about his hopes for them. His hope was that as he stewarded the call, that he would in turn see them walking in Christ. And it's, it's tied to that order and firmness. He says, my hopes for you is that you would walk in Christ. And I'm looking out here this morning, and I want you to know that my hope as your pastor is that you would walk in Christ. You work, you live, you vacation this summer, you go on trips, you, 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 you sit on the deck, you sit at the pool, you play golf, you knit, you crochet, you play bunco. I don't know what all you're doing. But you're in all of that. You're walking in him. You're walking in him. Oh, what does this walk look like? He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He says, you will be rooted. You'll be built up. You'll be established in the faith you'll be abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I've let my time get away from me. And uh, I'll alert the band that we're not going to sing at the end. But I want to take just about three or four more minutes here and talk about what it looks like to be rooted, built up, established, and abounding. Okay, can we do that? To be rooted is this, it's, it's this stage of where your life begins to draw its strength in Christ. Your source for your daily living is Christ. You're not dependent on some self-help mechanism. Your, your, your life, your strength, your energy... Your view of living and view toward the future, it is rooted in Christ. Basically, you find your identity in Christ. You're feeding on him. You're leaning on him. You're loving him. You're seeking him first. That's what it looks like to walk in him when you're rooted in him. And then he says, built up in him. If you were gardening, you would think about this being a plant that had set its roots down into the soil and to be built up would be to add the fertilizer it would be to add things to strengthen the soil it would be to add the stakes that go around the plant it would be to to add things to your spiritual life that allows you to grow and to become stronger and more firm 
2 Peter speaks about adding to our faith and it's a you wonder what it looks like to be built up listen to these verses in 2nd Peter chapter 1 he says for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, I intend always, verse 12, to remind you of these qualities. What I would hope for you is that you would be rooted in Christ, built up in Christ. And third, that you would be established in the faith. You know what it looks like to be established? You ever planted a tree in your yard and like for three years you're just thinking, is it going to make it? Is it going to make it? Is it going to make it? We had a southern magnolia in our yard growing up as a kid. And I'm telling you, it, it seemed like for seven years it was five feet tall. And I just look at it and I think, it's like some kind of dwarf southern magnolia. What is the deal? Just sat there. And then one summer I came home and it was seven feet. And then the next year you come back and you're, it's nine feet. And then you go back and it's 12 feet. And one day it feels like you just wake up and it's 25 feet tall. And it's 30 feet wide. What happened? It, it just in a physical way, that tree was just rooting itself, being built up in the soil until there came a point where it tapped into something in the system to where it was established and it withstood the storms and the droughts you didn't have to feed it you didn't have to water it it just flourished because it had found its source and that's a picture that the apostle Paul gives here that's the hope that I have for you in Christ that you would be rooted and in time you would be built up and then in time you would be established in your faith and it shows not in some kind of a standing emotional kind of way it shows in your serving and your helping in your connecting in your giving your in your encouraging in your showing up in your resisting of temptation it shows in your life and I would look at you and I would say that brother is established in his faith that sister is established in her faith and then there's this fourth area that I think really shows and it, I think it gets past us. It really shows what spiritual maturity is. And that is when we reach a point in our spiritual life where the most dominant factor of our life is this. He says, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Why is that so huge in our life? Why is that a spiritual marker for our life? Because when we reach the point in our, in our faith and our walk with Christ of being rooted, built up, established. And we come to this point in our life where the dominant factor in our life is thanksgiving. You know what's happened? We have moved. We have moved from receiving to giving. We've removed, we, we, we've, we have moved from being in a place of I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. 
to a place of thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus parents you've seen it before you're raising kids and you're and you're and you're turnip green tired and you're and and you just look at your kids and you think they will never all I hear I won't, I won't. I, Mom, is there any food in here? Yes, I just got back from the grocery store. Yeah, I can't find it. Though. Mom, where are my socks? Mom, have you seen? I need a towel. I won't, I won't. Would somebody please? I, I won't, I won't, I won't. And then there's this day where you get a thank you note from your kid. Handwritten, addressed, and mailed. And you can't hardly read it. You're just like. Amazing. And what happens in our mind. What we, what we think is. They've grown up. They've grown up. And that's what the Apostle Paul here is talking about. He said I'm looking for you to get to a point. Rooted. Yeah. There's a time. Built up, yeah, there's a time. Established, there's a time. And then there comes this time. But really, life's about, thank you, Jesus. Just thank you, Jesus. Now, my dad, a nursery business, he, he, he got to this point where he was getting close to finishing, it seemed like to me. And I remember walking by his chair one night with my horticulture degree. And I was thinking about our nursery. And our nursery was, had, at its peak, was about 20 employees, 33 greenhouses, and 250 acres of turf grass. But I'd gone away and I'd saw some thousand acre nurseries. And some thousand, and like, like, thousand greenhouses and I remember walking by my chair by my dad's chair one night not realizing probably he was turnip green tired and I asked him a real jerk kind of question I said dad why was our nursery so small I mean why why is it I mean yeah we have 30 houses I mean like there's places that have hundreds of houses why were we not that my dad looked at me and now I realize with a lot of grace, he said, well, son, I just kind of got to the point where I was excited because I felt like we were the best 33 greenhouse, 250-acre nursery that there was. And I want you to know that has stuck with me about our church where I look at our church and I think, here's my hope. This is, this, is, this is really where I'm living every day. Lord Jesus, with your help, would you let Watkinsville First Baptist be the best version of a local church on 22 acres that preaches the word in a community, 30 or 40,000 people close by, so that one day you could look at us and smile and say, that's perfect. That's complete. That's what I had in mind 
when I thought of Watkinsville First Baptist. Lord, help us to be the best version on this trip according to what God wants above all. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, would you, through your energy and your help, help me to shepherd and help your people to be rooted, built up, established, and abounding in thanksgiving. In Jesus' name.